Well, church, let me encourage you, if you will now grab your Bible and join me in the book of 1 Peter. And 1 Peter is right near the end of the New Testament. So if you're new to Bible study today or, or if you're joining us for the first time and you're, you're trying to figure out where do I turn, you just turn right to the end of the story, right to the, the back of the Bible, and you'll be close to 1 Peter. And, and we actually are beginning a new series today, a study in the book of 1 Peter. And we're, we're jumping right in today. We're going we're gonna to go through the first couple of chapters of this great book uh, for the rest of the school year, kind of leading into the beginning of the summer. Uh, we will take a break for over the summer and do a, a different sermon series in the summer and come back to First Peter when the new school year kicks off in the fall. So just want you to know kind of where we're going over the next few months. We're going to be spending a lot of time in the book of First Peter. And so I would encourage you, you may want to get some other resources to help you study during the week to even prepare to come in to worship together on Sundays, maybe, maybe grab a, a commentary about First Peter or a Bible study about First Peter, something that you can do in your own time with the Lord. And then we'll come together each week and dive into the, this scripture, dive into the word, and we'll see what the Lord lays before us. I do want to say, if you're new to Shades, welcome. We are so glad that you are here with us this morning. If you're joining us online, welcome as well. Thank you for, for spending some time with us today. I, I, I want you to know why we're jumping into Peter. I've been praying about this for quite some time and really just asking the Lord to show me specifically what, what was the next uh, passage of scripture or, or, or book of the Bible that he wanted us as a church to, to dive into. And over and over again, I kept coming back to this text. Because 1 Peter is a letter written to the church, the early church, by, by one of the first disciples, Peter, who walked with Jesus, who, who followed Jesus, who, who was there when Jesus went to the cross. He was there when Jesus was resurrected from the grave. He was there when Jesus ascended to heaven. Peter is the one who preached the first sermon of the early church right at the events of Pentecost as, as the early church exploded on the scene. Peter experienced a lot. And as he's writing this letter, he's, he's coming near the end of his time on earth. And he's feeling this, this significant burden for the early church because he knows that the early church, many of the followers of Jesus that he is writing to, they are facing a lot of hardship and a lot of difficulty because they live in a culture that doesn't understand them. They live in a culture that even at times is hostile, very hostile toward them and what they believe and, and, and what their faith is built upon. So Peter is writing them this letter as an encouragement to say, endure, persevere, and recognize that God has you where you are for a reason. And I think many of us, we, we need to hear that, especially in the, the day and time in which we live, facing some of the things that we're facing in the culture that we live in, facing some of the, the individual challenges and circumstances that you're facing right now. We need to be reminded that God has us where he has us for a reason. God has a purpose in this. He, he, he's got something bigger for us to see. He's calling us to something greater. 
And so I'm praying that the Lord would use this, this study in 1 Peter to, to encourage us all, to equip us to, to better live where God has called us to live, how God has called us to live for such a time as this. So we're going to jump right in. We're going to start with the introduction. I'm going to try to get a little bit beyond the introduction of this letter this morning. But the introduction is so rich. It is so beautiful. And it really sets the stage for, for where Peter is going to take us throughout this letter. And so I want to read just the first two verses of 1 Peter chapter 1. I want to ask you if you would, would you stand with me? As I read the scripture, let's turn our attention now to the holy word of God. And we stand to be reminded that the word of God is our foundation. Our circumstances may change. Our culture may change. Even the things that we encounter in this life may change. They may change rapidly. But the word of God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It is the solid rock on which the people of God stand. We stand on an unchanging word that shows us what God says is right and good and true. Listen to the word of the Lord. This is Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles, we're going to come back to that term, elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus and Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. I, I want to pray together before we are seated. And I want to ask the Lord specifically to multiply grace and peace in the life of his people as we step into his word. Would you pray with me? Father, there is no question that in a gathering like this, as this many people come together and listen to your word, that there are a lot of very challenging, very difficult circumstances that people are navigating right now. And Lord, as we stand before you at the reading of your word, I know for many people today, it can feel like a heavy day in light of, of the things they've experienced. They may all be already be thinking about what, what's waiting for them beyond this service. And so, Lord, I just pray right now in this, in this very sacred moment that you have set apart for, for, for your people to gather together here at Shades, I pray, Lord God, that you would have your way among us, that you would show us what you know we need to see. And ultimately, I pray that your grace and peace would be multiplied that we would see through Jesus Christ that you have provided for us exactly what we need for such a time as this. Use this for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing with me. And as you're getting settled in, I just, I want to take you on a little, little tour of my, my parents' house, okay? Just go there with me in your mind. My, my mom and dad live in the suburbs of North Atlanta. 
And if you were to walk into their house this afternoon, you, you would very quickly see that there are pictures of our family all around the house. Extended family, all the grandkids, uh, the couples, uh, there's pictures from our wedding day. There's, there's picture, pictures from my, my brothers and sister-in-laws and their wedding day. There's pictures of our great-grandparents. There's pictures of the whole family together. There's pictures of each individual by themselves. I mean, everywhere you turn in my parents' house, you would see family pictures. I'm talking everywhere, right, babe? That's true. Bookshelves, kitchen counter, the bathroom, like everywhere, there are pictures of the family, no matter where you turn. And, and you'd see all these pictures and you'd go, oh, that's a nice family. And, and you'd see all these pictures and go, oh, that, they, they look great there. And oh, wasn't that a fun day? And, and they all look pretty normal, right? But then if you turn down this, this small little hall that goes to the laundry room and the garage, there's just one picture hanging on that hall. It's different from all the rest. I, I want to share it with you right now because it's really <laughs> embarrassing. This is, the, this is the kind of picture that leads to a, a road of counseling. <laughs> this, is the, this is the kind of picture that gets a kid beat up, all right? I mean, ruins a reputation altogether. Like why in the world would adults with rational thinking place their vulnerable children in a situation like this to be documented forever. And then they keep it on the wall. Those are not even our puppies. <laughs> now, let me, let me just be straight. They were born at our house. That was our family dog that had puppies, but we, we sold all those puppies. They're not even part of the family. We don't even know their names. And I love my little brother, especially David, like he's so young, he doesn't know we're not supposed to be doing this. So he's like, you know, all into it. That picture looks different than all the rest. It just does. That picture looks different than every other family picture that is hanging or sitting somewhere in their house. Why in the world do I bring that up? Well, here's why. Because as we step into this letter today, Peter makes it very clear right out of the gate. I mean, from the very first line that he writes in this letter to the churches of the early church. If you follow Jesus Christ, the story of your life, the picture of your life, it's gonna look different than the rest of the world. It's not gonna be the same. Now you may face some of the same challenges and some of the same difficulties and, and you may face loss just like anyone else and, and you may walk through grief, but here's the thing. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the way you respond to these circumstances of the world and the changes of the culture and the difficulties that you face and even the hostilities that may come your way, the way you respond is going to look very different. Your picture is going to be a little different than the other pictures. Why is that? 
Well, Peter makes it clear right up front. He actually makes a statement in the opening line of this letter to those who receive this letter. It's a statement of their identity. And he describes their identity in an interesting way. Look back at what the letter says. And if, if, if you are the type that underlines or highlights in your Bible, there, there is a phrase here that I want to encourage you, underline it or highlight it in verse 1. Look at what it says. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those, here's the phrase, to those who are elect exiles. Just underline that in your Bible or circle that in your Bible. That is a very significant statement. Elect exiles of the dispersion. They've, they've been dispersed. They've been scattered. And then he talks about these different areas where they have been scattered. Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. What, what's the deal about an elect exile? What, what does that mean? And why would those two words even be together? Because this sounds very, very strange, different. What is Peter saying? Peter's saying, well, those who are followers of Jesus Christ have responded by grace through faith to an invitation to receive the good news of salvation that has been made available through the finished work of Jesus Christ at the cross and through the power of the resurrection. Those who are followers of Christ have, have said by faith, I believe what Christ has done for me. I believe that God has given me an invitation to respond to his grace. So I'm stepping out on faith receiving this gift of salvation that God alone can provide for me. God has chosen me. God has chosen those who are followers of Christ to be his, to be a part of his family. That's why the scripture talks about being adopted into the family of God. Th those who know anything about adoption, you know adoption is not about what the child does. It's about what a family does to bring a child into their, their home, to say, I choose you. I love you. I want you to come and, and be a part of, of, of this family. I want you to be ours. And Peter is reminding the people of God, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been chosen by God, elect by God. But then in this, in this gift that God has given you to bring you into his family, he then places you in a specific place where you are living as an exile. What is that all about? Peter is saying to the recipients of this letter, you are living in a foreign land. You are a stranger living in a foreign land. You, you, your, your citizenship, your identity is actually in a kingdom that is not of this world. Your, your true citizenship is one who has been chosen by God and called into the family of God, who, who has received the gift of salvation. You are now part of a citizenship that is eternal, the, the kingdom of heaven. So that means wherever you are, Wherever you live, wherever you work, whatever you face, whatever you encounter, you, you have been placed right where you are as a stranger in a foreign land with a longing for another kingdom. 
And what this means is it should, it should impact the way you live in a foreign land. As one who is in exile. As one who recognizes your, your permanent resonance is not right here. Your, your permanent resonance as a child of God. It's the kingdom of heaven. The eternal kingdom. So here Peter is, is wanting the early church and wanting those who are followers of Christ to see this is your identity. That you have, been, you have been invited into the family through the gift of salvation and you have been placed where you are currently living as an exile to, to live in such a way that those around you see that there is another kingdom. They see that there is a, an eternal dwelling place. Those who know that they are elect exiles, they, they will live with different priorities. They will have a different perspective. Peter's going to talk about that throughout his letter. He's going to talk about the, the way those who are elect exiles face difficulty, the way those who are elect exiles face loss, the way those who are elect exiles go through challenges and, and navigate pain, the way those who are elect exiles uh, raise a, a family and, and enter into a marriage relationship. That should look different if you know you are a stranger living in a foreign land knowing that you are a part of a kingdom that is not of this world. Does your picture look different? Does your story look a little different from the stories of those who are around you? Do you respond to what you are currently facing in a way that demonstrates that you are from a different kingdom? There's a quote that I love from C.S. Lewis. I love a lot of quotes from C.S. Lewis. I mean, he's far smarter than I could ever dream to be. And, you know, plus he was British and he loved to smoke a cigar. And those are all like really crazy fun things for a pastor to think about. Not in today's culture, but just in that culture. It was awesome. Not making a statement, just saying. It's history. And Lewis was brilliant. And he wrote these amazing, amazing things. And he said he has this perspective about another kingdom that is so captivating. And this specific quote I love, he says, most people, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that what they do want and want acutely is something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. And he says this, and I love this, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Elect exile. A stranger living in a foreign land. So, so what does that mean? What does that mean? Does that mean we look at, at the differences between us and the world or the differences between our values and the values of our culture and we get really angry? Does that mean that we, we look at the differences uh, between those who are followers of Christ and those who are uh, of the world and, and, and the differences and the values and, and the things that we say are good and compare with the rest of the world and we just, we just pull away altogether? 
Now, what, what Peter's going to tell us and what we're going to see all throughout this letter is there are lots of differences. But you're a stranger called to live in a foreign land. So live in that foreign land and point to the good news that you've received. Live in that foreign land and, 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 and be a, an example, a witness, a picture of something different. Something that God alone can provide. Something that comes through, through Christ alone. Don't, don't retreat and hide. Don't get angry and miss the point altogether. No, as an elect exile, you are right where you are because God has placed you there. In this circumstance, in, in the midst of whatever you're facing right now, God has you there for a reason. Students, don't miss this. God has you there for a reason. He knows every detail of what you're walking through right now. He's got you right where you are for a reason. I can only imagine that, that Peter, as he's writing this letter, he's got to be reflecting on some of the things that, that he heard Jesus say and that he witnessed as he was walking with Jesus. You imagine Peter being able to go back to, to all of those different encounters that we can read about in the scripture that, that, that Peter got to witness. But then think about all the other things that Peter saw and heard that, that we don't even know. Walking with Jesus. I wonder if his mind would go back to What's the most famous sermon of Jesus in the scripture? The longest recorded sermon of Jesus in the Bible is the Sermon on the Mount. We, we've talked about it many times here at Shades. It's so beautiful, so powerful, but what does it show? It shows, it shows this invitation for those who are followers of Jesus to, to live different from the world. There's these beatitudes, the attitudes of one who is a follower of Christ. They look very different from the world, the way we interact with, with one another relationally, it looks very different from the world. Jesus lays this all out in the Sermon on the Mount. And then I, I wonder if, if as Peter is writing this letter, if he just remembers the way that sermon ended. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says this, Matthew 7 verse 13 through 14, he talks about a, a wide road and a narrow road. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are, are few. There's a way that most of the world lives, a way that's very easy to find. It's, it's the wide path. It leads to destruction. But isn't it interesting that Jesus says there is another way, a narrow way, a, a more challenging way even, a difficult way. It is hard. It's hard to live on the narrow path. Jesus says it. But this is the path that leads to life. Peter is saying to those who are elect exiles, hey, when you live in a foreign land, I, I just want to be honest and I want to talk about the reality of what you're going to encounter. It's not going to be easy. You're going to face some hardships. You're going to face some difficulty. And that's why I'm writing this letter. That's why Peter says this up front. 
I'm writing this letter to be an encouragement to those who are on the narrow path. I'm writing this letter so that you can know when you're in the midst of a circumstance that you don't understand and you're really struggling to say, God, what are you doing with this? Peter's saying, I want to remind you right up front, there's a purpose in this. God has you where he has you for a reason. Don't lose sight of that. You're a stranger living in a foreign land. There's going to be some things around you you don't understand. But you're there for a reason. And after that identifying statement, those who are followers of Jesus are elect exiles. Peter then goes straight into a doctrinal statement that is so beautiful and so powerful that really is serving as, as the foundation to set up where he's going to take us in this letter. I, I love that Peter like dives right into doctrine, right into foundational truths. Because it says, if Peter knows when we do face those challenges, when we do face difficult circumstances, it's going to be very easy for us to walk away from what we say we believe and let the circumstance determine what we believe. So Peter says, I want to just, just say it right up front. This is the foundational truth to build your life on. You are an elect exile. And then verse 2, it says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, I just want to break each of these little statements down for a moment because they are so powerful and they are so important. This is foundational Christian doctrine. So I want you to know, if you're new to the Christian faith or maybe you're, you're new to church or, or maybe you've been away from the church for some time and you're, you're trying to determine what you believe, I just want you to know, right here in this one verse, in this introduction to this letter, Peter is laying out some foundational doctrinal truths that are so important for anyone who trusts Jesus to understand. So let's break them down. What does he say? He says, this is according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. What, what is this all about? Well, this means God knows. God knows. God, God knows all things. God, God knows every detail of your story and your circumstance. God knows right where you are in what you're walking through right now because he has placed you there. This is according to his foreknowledge. This is reminding us of the sovereignty of God. That there will be some things that we will encounter that we don't understand, but God who sees what we don't see and knows what we don't know, he, he invites us into those challenges and those difficulties and those struggles for a reason. We don't always know the reason, but one of the reasons is actually listed next in verse 2. As Peter talks about that this is in the sanctification of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's a big theological term, a big church word, sanctification. What, what, what is this all about? 
Well, here Peter is reminding us that every follower of Jesus Christ has been given this incredible gift called the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God comes and dwells in those who are followers of Jesus. The Holy Spirit of God takes up residence in the life of those who are followers of Jesus Christ. And the Spirit of God, please don't miss this, the Spirit of God has the purpose of pointing us to Jesus over and over again. And as the Spirit of God points us to Jesus, there is a sanctification that happens in our life. What does that mean? A growth. We begin to grow to become more like Christ through the Holy Spirit of God given to us as a gift. What does this mean? When we go back to that first statement, according to the foreknowledge of God, God has you where he has you for a reason. He knows what you're walking through right now. He knows what you're navigating right now. He knows how painful this last week was for some of you. He's seen it all. And you're there for a purpose. And as you walk through this with a God who loves you, with a God who knows what you need, as you walk through this, the Holy Spirit of God is going to minister to you. The Holy Spirit of God is going to comfort you. And the Holy Spirit of God is going to sanctify you and grow you to become more like Christ. And this sanctification process, it's, it's not easy. It's, it's oftentimes painful, right? I mean, think about the, the times of growth that you have experienced in your life. When, when you have felt closest to God and you've been most aware of your need for him, is it when everything is going great and you're laying on the beach? Typically, when we realize our greatest need for the Savior, when we're most overwhelmed by his, his goodness and his faithfulness, when we, when we realize that he has done for us what we can never do for ourselves, typically it's when we're in places where, where we realize how desperate we are for him. And he grows us. He does a work in us. He sanctifies us. Peter is reminding the church, hey, you are where you are for such a time as this because God has placed you there as an elect exile, as a stranger living in a foreign land because this is where God wants you to be right now. This is where God wants you to point others to him right now. This is where God wants to do a work in you right now. He is sanctifying you by the power of the Spirit. And then Peter says, thirdly, Still, in verse 2, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. What do you think about when you think about obedience, especially as it relates to the church or the faith or, or the call to obedience that they might often be talked about in, in religious conversations. Maybe, maybe you're like, yeah, right on. I'm all for obedience. That's great. I want everybody to tell me what to do. But you may be wired a little bit more the way I'm wired where you hear this call to obedience and you're like, now hold on. Who do you think you are telling me what to do? I'll figure this out. Don't give me a bunch of rules. Don't give me a bunch of regulations. No, no, I'll figure this out. I, I'll, I'll be good. And it's easy for us at times to kind of bristle against this call to obedience. And I've even heard some people say, oh, oh, that call to obedience, that's legalism. 
No, I'm under grace. I, I don't need all those rules. That's legalism. And yet anybody who's a parent that loves their children and even the slightest knows that there are some, there are some rules that are good, really good. There are some rules that are necessary. There are some rules that protect. There are some rules that provide. There, there are some rules that we need to hear. And so this call to obedience says, hey, hey, if, if, if you'll trust God at his word and listen to what he says, it will be for your good. And here's how you can know this. Because the call to obey Christ is not so that you can earn his love. The call to obey Jesus Christ comes out of the sprinkling with his blood. What does that mean? It comes out of the finished work of what he's already done. He's not looking at you and loving you based on what you do or how well you keep the rules. No, the rules are a gift. Obedience is a gift. It's for your good. Because he loves you and he knows what you need. And so he calls you to obedience out of the finished work of Christ. This term sprinkling with his blood, this, this would have Old Testament connotations. The, the, the early church that would, that would have heard this would have said, oh, sprinkling with blood, that takes us back to the, the, the sacrifices of atonement. Where there had to be a sacrifice made for, for, for the sins of the people so their sins could be paid for and they could be atoned. And, and the priests in the Old Testament, they would make this sacrifice. And think about this, this is a little wild. This, this would get really exciting next week if we brought this back in church. They would make an animal sacrifice and they would take some blood and they would start to sprinkle blood on the people to signify that the blood was making atonement for their sin. That would be a really wild church service. I mean, I'm a, I'm a Baptocostal, you know, so I've got a little wild in me. But I think that would be pretty extreme, right? Sprinkling. But the people would read this letter and they'd go, oh, that's pointing us back to the finished work of the blood of Jesus Christ that the cross brought an end once and for all to the sacrificial system because the cross was the perfect sacrifice for sin. Sin has been atoned for through Jesus Christ giving his perfect and sinless life at the cross so that we might be forgiven, covered in grace, and then brought into the family of God. And so our obedience flows out of the finished work of Christ because we have been given a new identity. And this new identity begins to, to guide how we live in light of what Christ has done. I love the way the Apostle Paul talks about this identity. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. That's obedience. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith, obedience in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. My obedience, Paul writes, flows out of what Christ has done. And this means the call to obedience, this really is a, an invitation to worship. It's a call to worship. 
We often think that worship is just about our singing. And yes, worship is uh, when we lift our voices and sing to the Lord. But worship is so much more than that. Worship is obedience to God. No matter what category of life it may be, worship is our obedience laid before the Lord in gratitude for what he has given us through Jesus Christ. And so in all these beautiful statements of doctrine, Peter is reminding us of what we have been given, what has already been done so that we can go into the world with the perspective of one who is an elect exile and live as strangers in a foreign land with our eyes fixed on our eternal home. Peter says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. I, I love this because it is a reminder to us. Please don't miss this. Whatever you're facing as a follower of Jesus Christ, there is enough grace and peace to meet you with what you need. Now, I'm not talking about tomorrow, I'm talking about today. His mercies are new every morning. His grace is sufficient for, for you. His grace is sufficient for me. That, that's why I can say, in my weakness, I am strong. Not because of anything that I do, but because of what Christ has done. His, his grace is enough. And when you need more grace and you need more peace, and when you're navigating a difficult circumstance or, or you're facing the unknown and you feel like you're walking in a fog, his grace and his peace is multiplied in you. That you can be reminded of who he is and how much he loves you. And you can be reminded that he has you where he has you for a reason. He wants to use your life for his glory. He wants to use your life to ultimately bring you to greater joy in him. As his grace and his peace is multiplied in you. Peter's writing this to give us a perspective on this identity that, that has been given to us through Jesus Christ, elect exile, a stranger in a foreign land, a citizen of a kingdom that is not of this world. Peter, Peter wants our eyes to be open. He wants us to have a, a gospel lens through which we view the world and view our circumstance. And so he, he invites us into this letter with this, with this beautiful doctrinal introduction it says, hey, before we even talk about the specifics of navigating different situations or, or circumstances, let me, just, let me just make sure that we understand the foundation that, that is under our feet. This is what Christ has done. So let me just ask you, how, how are you viewing your circumstance right now? Is it a gospel lens or, or do you only see the circumstance? How are you viewing your life right now? And, and what you see in the culture around you, is there, is there a gospel lens or, or are you just frustrated, angry, or running in fear? What, what are you seeing when you, when you see the world around you? I'm 43 years old now, and when I was about 40, like right as I was turning 40, 
um, I, I realized that, that something was going on with me and I was like, what, what's the deal here? And so uh, here's how it started to show up. I love every day at the end of the day, this is kind of like part of my rhythm, at the end of the day, no matter what's been going on, no matter what time I go to bed, when I lay down in the bed, I'm gonna pick up a book. And it may be I read for, for one line for 30 seconds before I'm sound asleep, or it may mean some nights I read for an hour, but it's like just a way to kind of shut down the day. I pick up a book and I read every day at the end of the day for some amount of time. And when I turned about 40, I realized, you know, maybe I'm like having some kind of issues or something because, man, these pages are really blurry. And I didn't really want to say anything about it, you know, because I just I was going to fight through it. And so I, I was trying to ignore it, but I just realized, man, it's getting harder and harder to, to read. And so I'm like, gosh, I, maybe I've got some kind of mental disorder or I don't know what it is. And so then Megan and I go to dinner one night and it's, you know, a nice, nice dinner. We're on a date and it's, it's the end of the day and there's low lighting in the restaurant, you know, kind of setting the mood. That's that's what I like to do, set the mood, you know. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm looking at the menu with this low lighting and I'm like, man, I need another menu. Like they gave us a blurry menu. There must be something wrong with their printer. You know, I can't, I can't read what's on this menu. I've always had great eyesight, so it can't be my eyes. I mean, you know. And Megan kind of starts laughing. She's like, hey, old man, it's probably time for some reading glasses. And so I went in and I, sure enough, my eyesight was, was beginning to fade a little bit. So I got these nifty reading glasses. And I mean, it was unreal. <laughs> All of a sudden I could see what once was really, really blurry. And look, I know this is basic. I know this is like the most simple illustration. But there's a lot of people, a lot of people in the church who they say that they are followers of Jesus Christ. And yet when they look at the world around them, when they look at the painful circumstances that they are facing, when they look at the change in our culture, all they see is a fog and they just kind of freak out. And yet Peter has reminded us if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, when you face uncertain circumstances, when you face difficulty and loss, when you walk through something that is very difficult to navigate, and then when you look out at the world and you see that our culture is changing and you see that all of this is, is not the way that, that you would want it to be, if you have a gospel lens, if you have a gospel lens and remember that you are where you are because God the Father in his sovereignty and in his foreknowledge placed you where you are for a reason that he is using the circumstances you're facing right now to sanctify you, to, to mold you, to, to, to purify you, as Peter's gonna say, so that you will become more like Christ. You are where you are because God has you there. He wants to use you right where you are to point others to, to the hope that we have because of Jesus Christ. But did you notice Peter doesn't talk about hope until he lays out this beautiful doctrine and reminds the people of what Christ has done. And then as they see and remember through a gospel lens what Christ has done through the cross and in the power of the resurrection, Peter then goes to verse three. 
And he makes this amazing statement, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. This now gets to be your story. No matter what you're facing, if you are in Christ, you have a living hope. Why? Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And you've been given a citizenship, not in this world, but of an eternal kingdom with, look at it, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And when you're walking through all this and you feel overwhelmed, and you're not sure what to do, and you're wondering where God is. Verse five, Peter says, it's by God's power that you are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last, in the last time. And in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Listen to this. So that tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and the glory and the honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This gospel is so good. This gospel is so beautiful. This gospel is so powerful because it means that no matter what you are facing in your life, God will not waste a moment. He will not waste a hurt. He will not waste a struggle. He is at work in the midst of it all. He is refining you. Just the way gold thrown into the fire, it comes out more pure. That's what God is doing in your life as you walk through this struggle. Don't lose sight of what he has done. Put on the gospel glasses. Remember the finished work of Jesus Christ. Remember your identity as an elect exile, a stranger living in a foreign land and walk into this circumstance, walk into this situation as one who has been set free, covered in the grace of God, called a new creation, a child of God whose, whose citizenship is in an eternal kingdom. This changes the way you view the world. This changes the way we navigate our lives. Are you seeing through a gospel lens? Because Jesus Christ has invited you through his death on the cross and resurrection from the grave, he has invited you to become a part of his family and to have citizenship in the eternal kingdom. A kingdom that is not of this world, a kingdom, a kingdom that is unlike anything this world has to offer. Is that your story? Because if that's your story, it'll be a little different picture than some of the other pictures around you. Let me pray for us as we close. Father, I love you. I'm so thankful for your word. I'm so thankful that even in the introduction to a letter, there is such beautiful good news. And so I pray that you'd guide us in our time together as a church in the book of 1 Peter, that you would use this to show us what you know we need to see so that we can navigate
The, the, the reality of the, the world we live in and the, the challenges that we face, that we can navigate these with our eyes fixed on this eternal kingdom that you have invited us to be a part of. Lord, if we are going to be elect exiles in this world, it's going to change the way we live. So show us, Lord. Are there things in our perspective that need to change? Are there things that we're doing that need to change? Is there something that you want us to see that we need to lay down? Is there something that you want us to see that we need to pick up? Lord, you, you know every detail of our story and what we're walking through. Open our eyes to see through a gospel lens. And use our lives for your glory. I pray specifically for those who are with us today or joining us online right now who have, who have never received this living hope, this good news of the gospel, this, this invitation by grace through faith to trust in Jesus as Savior of our lives. Lord, for anyone among us who's never received this gift, I pray that today would be the day that they would, that they would say, Jesus, I am ready. I am ready to follow you in faith. I'm ready to trust my life to you. I'm ready for, for my sin to be forgiven. I'm ready to be covered in your grace. Jesus, I trust you as Savior and Lord. We thank you, Lord God, that you can change any story and that you, through Christ, can give any story a living hope. And we fix our eyes on Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Hey, we're going to stand and sing together.